You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. This morning's scripture reading is from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 11, 21 to 27. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. And the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, transparent as glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the word of the Lord for our church, and it is given for our good. Thanks be to God. Let's pray, and then we're going to spend some time reflecting on this passage. Lord, if ever there was a time in which we needed a vision or a picture that would fill our minds and bodies with hope, it would be now. And so we ask that you'd send your Holy Spirit to open our imagination to see this new world that is to come, and in seeing it to be transformed by it, that we might be people fit to inherit this new world, to dwell with you there. So Father, please send your Spirit. I know this is a word that many of us need to hear. Protect us from distractions. For there are many. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to begin by asking a question. Um, do you have a future that excites you? Maybe another way I could ask it, 
is, do you believe that one day there will be a tomorrow that's beautiful? Do you have something to look forward to that helps you push through the drudgery? I know we're in that day where we're, what, you know, seven more sleeps until Christmas and our kids can get through their last week of Christmas, or last week of school, looking forward to the Christmas break. But on the big scale, do you have a, a picture of tomorrow that is just so incredibly beautiful it allows you to push through the drudgery of the day? If you have kids, do you believe that they are going to inherit a world where there is an exciting tomorrow? Are you confident that tomorrow will be stunningly beautiful? Would you describe yourself as a long-term optimist? You know, in our culture more and more, I don't really know how to trace the data, say, pre-World War I, but at least as of recent trends, the majority of people in our world, especially in our city, are beginning to see themselves as living in a world where tomorrow will not be beautiful. Ours is a time marked by a, a growing pessimism. Our culture thinks that they are passing on to our children a world worse than the one that was handed to them by their parents. The majority of, of adults feel this way. There's tons of data to back this up. You can think of the housing crisis in our city. I read a report uh, from one of the big banks released a month or so ago that said 48% of the, the people right now, adults who don't own a home, 48% of those people who don't own a home now don't believe they ever will own a home. One year prior to that survey being released, that number was 33%. 33% of adults who didn't own a home in the city believe that one day they never will. In one calendar year, that number rose from 33% of those surveyed to 48%. It's not just the housing crisis, though. The housing crisis is tough. You have inflation. You have people worried about where will I retire? Will the wealth that I saved up even mean anything when I need it to? You have worries of climate change. You know, here we are living in Toronto. We have it pretty good. Very few natural disasters. We kind of hedged our bets quite nicely as people. And yet last summer was marked by clouds of smoke, which kept us in masks and kept us indoors and prevented us from playing outside. There's wonder, is this our future, the future that we're going to inherit, a world of flooding and natural disasters? If that wasn't bad enough, you have a political climate, which seems beyond polarizing. Families and neighbors driven so far apart because of politics that they can't talk to one another. It seems like every week there's a new war started somewhere or there is a verge of another war taking place. We have fear of terrorism, skyrocketing national debt, loss of the middle class, and maybe worst of all, no offense to those who are in political leadership right now, there just seems to be an absence of worthy leaders that people are getting excited about that want to get behind. And if that wasn't bad enough, ours is a time marked by something like moral decay. Prestigious universities, <laughs> last couple of weeks, or a couple of weeks ago, testifying before the U.S. Congress are unclear about whether or not you're allowed to promote and speak about genocide on campus, whether or not that falls under the categories of free speech, sort of promoting genocide. Prestigious universities, ones we longed to send our kids to only a month ago, now people are scratching their heads saying, is this where things are going? We have a lack of consensus around gender identity. Kids are being treated as something like experiments. We don't know what we're going to think about the treatments we're giving to them 5, 10, 20 years from now. Over half of Canadians question the relevance of marriage. And our country is beginning to be leaders, taking leadership in the world in physicians ending life for people who are in the midst of despair. And if all that wasn't bad enough, the church the light, the city on a hill, the one place where we could go and find hope, 
has been riddled with conflict and has been riddled with controversy. And it seems as though the internet makes it such that every controversy in the church all around the world is brought before our eyes very quickly. A new scandal each month. There's a growing sense in our city and maybe even after everything I just said, even in this room, that tomorrow is going to be much more ugly than today. That the future is not something we're going to look forward to. You can understand why Albert Camus in The Myth of Sisyphus wrote that the only relevant question that humanity wrestles with is why shouldn't we end our life? We know, we know that when we lose hope, when we lose hope, we lose drive to move forward. Auschwitz survivor and psychotherapist, sort of scholar Viktor Frankl, I know many of you have probably read his book, Man's Search for Meaning. He, he writes in this book that finding hope is literally a life or death quest. And in his book, he reflects on his time in Auschwitz, and he writes this, the, prisoners, the prisoner who had lost faith in the future, his future was doomed. With his loss of belief in the future, he also lost his spiritual hold. He let himself decline and become subject to mental and physical decay. Listen, what I'm trying to say to you this morning is to live today, you have to have some kind of belief about tomorrow. And to live right today, you have to have some kind of belief about a bright tomorrow. The church is the place where we say, week in and week out, we believe in the resurrection of the body and what? The life everlasting. Is this just pie-in-the-sky optimism? Is this just more opiate to control the masses, remnants of a time when leaders use religion to enslave people? Well, listen, I can't promise you a bright tomorrow. And I'm not up here to promise you that next year is going to be a better year than 2023. There's preachers like that. They get TV channels and planes. It's not me. I can't even promise you that Canada has a place 50, 100 years from now. I don't know. This is not my subject to go on. But I'm telling you from this passage, the Apostle John has been given a glimpse into future. It's like he gets a chance to see the scroll unravel to the very end, and what I can tell you is this, for God's people, it is a beautiful future. There is a beautiful tomorrow, and it's this picture of this beautiful future that guided these martyrs who originally received this book, these martyrs who were sometimes uh, put on posts and lit on fire to be torches for Nero's garden parties. It's this picture that guided martyrs all throughout the ages, and it's this picture right now as Christians sit in jail in places like North Korea and China and other places all around the world. It's this picture that has guided them, that has pushed them forward. It's a promise that there is a future for God's people that is beautiful. And it's my hope this morning that you'll see it, maybe for the first time. And in seeing it, you'll be transformed by it. So here's what I want to look at this morning. What I want to look at is how the future, this future world will feel similar, how it will feel different, and then what we need to get there. So first, let's, let's reflect on what you just heard read and ask, how will this future world feel similar? And this might seem strange to ask in the beginning because did not verse 1 say, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old, the first heavens and the first earth had passed away. Is that not what it says very clearly? Now, this passage is telling us that there is some kind of transition going on in the world as we know it. But I want to ask the question, is the, the universe, our planet, all of this, is it just going to be scrapped and thrown away? Or is this passage telling us something different? And I'm convinced the passage is, is trying to convince, telling, uh, tell us something different. I'm going to have to make something of an argument. I'll make a couple of arguments. Hopefully they'll stick with you. But I believe that this passage is telling us that what, what we see in the future is not necessarily a world that's scrapped and sort of a, a whole new world that's recreated out of nothing. But what we're seeing is like a glorious renovation project. 
Maybe I could argue this way, that we do see in this new heavens and the new earth, there is some continuity of the categories that existed in the first world, is there not? We have a city, we have the earth, we have heaven, we have eyes, right? The eyes are full of tears, they have to be wiped out. There's a bride, there's various stones, some of that was in chapter 21 that we didn't have read. And we still have these categories of God and humanity. These things don't seem to go away. They seem to continue into this new world. That's one one argument I can make. Another argument I could make is if you think of this concept of the new heavens and the new earth, this isn't the first time these words or these ideas have shown up in the Bible. They actually showed up in Isaiah 65. And in that passage, God's people are promised while they're carried away in exile. In a sense, they're being uh, captive as prisoners of war, forced to live somewhere else. The prophet Isaiah promises that one day a new heaven and a new earth will come. Again, this is Isaiah 65. And in verse 17, he says very clearly, this new heavens and this new earth will come. But in verse 20, he says, in this new heavens and the new earth, that is going to come to those who are in exile, there will no more be premature death, but people will die of ripe old ages. So this, this category, this picture of a new heavens and new earth, this is, this is being described, is a way of describing when God's people leave the exile and they come back into their promised land. And yet, it's not the type of earth where death is ridden away. So this category has been used before and it's being expanded on now as John gets this vision as to how history will roll up and end. Maybe I'll give you some other arguments as to why I think there's some continuity. Probably the most compelling argument for me is that when Jesus resurrects from the dead, he still has a body. It's different from ours. It has different properties than the earthly body in some senses, but in its essence, it's still the same. And in fact, we find that he still eats. He still eats, which is good for some of us who love food, you know? And with his resurrected and glorified body, his first picture of the new creation, we find a body that is recognizable, that eats, that can be touched. It's earthy. In some senses, it's more earthy than our ephemeral bodies. And this isn't a surprise because when we read 2 Corinthians, we find that when we trust in Christ and when God's Spirit comes into our lives, we, we become, we get a first taste of the new creation sort of inside of us. And that new creation doesn't annihilate who we are as a person and recreate us. It transforms who we are. We become different people. I've belabored my point, but what I'm trying to say is this. The new heavens and the new earth are much more like a home renovation with an unlimited budget than they are like a scrapping and a moving and a building a house somewhere else. They're like a renovation where you feel as though this is the house that I grew up in, this is the house I love, and yet it's been glorified. You know, I look out the window and things look familiar, and yet it's so spectacular how everything's new. The broken things have gone away. This is, this is what is important. And why am I sharing this just briefly? Because I think if you survey more, most Christians and you'd ask them, where will we live forever? They would say, we'll live forever in heaven. And while it is true, we will be in heaven for a while as we wait for the Lord's sort of conclusion and climax of history. This passage is telling us that there'll be a new earth and we're bodily people. We need to get to this new earth and that's where we're going to be. Why does any of this matter? Well, it matters because it will change how you live in this world today. It really will. Hear me out. The way we live, if you know that your house is going to get knocked over and a a highway is going to blow through it, there's sort of imminent domain, your house is going to get knocked over and a highway will go through in six months, how are you going to act in that house? You're going to soak up the memories, but, you know, if your kids color on the wall, who cares, you know, right? Who cares? And are you going to delight in your time there? Are you going to make it look beautiful? No, you're, going to, you're assuming it's going to be scrapped. It's essentially garbage waiting to happen, and you won't enjoy your time in the house the same way you will if there's going to be a glorious renovation, okay? And what I'm trying to say is this, that if you can understand this, what this means is that you are invited 
to not, to not pretend this isn't true, but to d- deeply enjoy this world, to enjoy traveling, to enjoy learning, to enjoy food, to enjoy learning about the cosmos and outer space, to enjoy spending time with your family members, enjoy bodily existence, and to grieve and to not feel ashamed about it, not like, ah, this is all going to get scrapped anyway, who cares? Of course, you're ash- of course you're sad about it. Of course you're sad when there's oil spills in the ocean. We want our kids to see a clean ocean and to see the, the vast wildlife that grows in these things. This must transform how we live today. Maybe another way of saying this is there is nothing unspiritual about enjoying life and getting sad when life is cut short, when things aren't like they're supposed to be. There's nothing unspiritual about enjoying good food and good wine. There's nothing unspiritual about sex being a delight within the confines of marriage. These things were made, and they were made by God, and they were good. And so the call is that we can delight in these things, build good cities, make beautiful art, delight in times with our families. But this, this reminder that there is going to be some continuity between the new creation and the creation we experience today will remind us that there is no sacrifice that you make today that, that won't be worth it. Maybe I'll say it this way. I crave so much to travel. And one of the best parts about really falling in love with the concept of traveling but not having a ton of money to travel a lot is you realize you'll never see it all. You know, there's only so many hours in the day. There's only so much time in the year. There's only so much uh, ability of cultures to take in. Certain cultures you can't even go see. You can't get a visa for. And so what you begin to realize is you you realize, well, I, I hope... And I have to believe in the new heavens and the new earth, there'll be something greater than traveling. But none of those things I missed out on are going to be losses in the new heavens and new earth. It's not going to be like, I wish I could roll back time and get a chance to go see those pyramids that I wanted to see. Or I wish I could roll back time and, you know, go visit, uh, see some of the glories of creation in, in other cities around the world. No way. And this is important because there are people in this church, there are people who funded this church, who made sacrifices on good earthly things that they wanted to delight in, but they chose to use those resources for the sake of others coming to know Christ because they believed it was worth it. They believed one day they will experience these good things they long to experience, and they'll experience them in an unfettered way that they can't even imagine. This This is why this is important. Listen, our future home is not floating around on clouds. Our future home is robust coffee. Our future home is fruits that explode in your mouth with flavor. You know, our future home is delighting in tobacco with no worries of cancers that come out of it, I don't know, you know. We will run, we will dance, we will play. There's something beautiful coming. It's just around the corner, and John wants us to see it. We'll, we'll sing together, we'll delight. This is how the, our creation is going to look similar, but let's talk then how it's going to look different, and this really is the heartbeat of this passage. How is the new creation going to feel different? There are some similarities, but it's the differences that should take your breath away as you hear Revelation 21 read. How is it different? Well, you can't miss it. Look at verse 4. Though there are going to be eyes, there'll be no tears in those eyes, because our Lord Jesus will take time to wipe away every tear that was shed from those eyes. There'll be no more mourning or crying. There won't even be pain. This is what John is seeing. He's telling us this is going to happen. This is your beautiful future. Sin and death are defeated. Can you imagine it? Of course you can't imagine it. Of course you have no idea what it's going to be like. It's beyond your imagination. You remember in The, the Lord of the Rings when, when Sam uh, awakes after they had destroyed the ring and he sees uh, Gandalf as he kind of comes out of his dream and he realizes that what he thought was a dream might actually be true and he asks Gandalf, is everything sad going to come untrue? You know, this is, this is what I'm talking about. This is what John sees. It's a city, but it's a city unlike the cities that you know. 
You know, no fighting about bike lanes and parking spots. It's a city beyond belief because it's a city when you step back, it's as beautiful as that moment when the doors open and you see the bride start to come down the aisle. A beautiful city. <laughs> a, a stunning, stunning city. It's so beautiful because there's no sinners in this city. I can't imagine living in Toronto without sinners. I really can't. It would be really wonderful, but I probably wouldn't have a place here, right? Uh, you know, I, I can't fathom when the glories and goodness of what it means to be humans are put together to make something stunning and spectacular when it's not riddled by sin. Not only is there no sin, though, in verse 8, but in verse 27, at the end of the passage, we realize there's nothing unclean, there's nothing undetestable, un, uh, and there's nothing false. It's a place of utter security. The gates are never shut, verse 26. This is part of what John is seeing when he says that there's also no night and there's no sea. Now, when John writes to the original audience who receives this letter, the sea was a place of chaos. It was sort of where Leviathan slithers, where evil erupts. So those of you who love sailing and the idea of sailing on a sea, you think, what a bummer, no more sea. What John is kind of saying is maybe similar to something kids would understand. He's saying that there'll be no more under the bed where the monsters live. That'll be done away with. This will be a place of perfect security. There'll be no more places where there is chaos breaking out and evil sort of brewing up. These things will be utterly defeated. Listen, there will be no pollution, no terrorism, no lawyers, no custody battles, no irreconcilable conflicts, no conflict whatsoever. There'll be no debt, no inflation, no fake news, no viruses, no aches, no pains. No panic attacks, no anxieties, no cancer, no sex trafficking, no elections, praise the Lord. There'll be no protests, no fear, no foster kids, no people wishing they could die, no loneliness. This is the world that is to come. I'm just getting started. John wants your imagination to see it. It's just around the corner. Ultimately, things are going to be the way they're supposed to be. Why? Because humanity dwells with their creator. We don't get absorbed into God. We don't become sort of part of, of divinity, but we walk with our God, and he becomes to us truly like a father. That relationship with Adam and Eve in the garden is restored to such a degree that we can be near to him, be close with him. God will walk with us, and in the light of the nations will come, and all will be made right. Kids, you remember when you're staying home alone, or maybe you remember when you're first staying home alone, the first couple of times your parents entrust you to stay home alone. It might be hard for you to believe, but there was a time where our parents didn't have cell phones, and we couldn't call them every two and a half minutes. Um, but I can remember when I first stayed home alone and wanting to be brave, just thinking I'm brave, but hearing a hissing noise, say, coming out of the vent, and I thought, oh man, this is how it ends. You know, here it comes. And then all of a sudden hearing a rattling on the window, like, oh, you know, I'm going to get kidnapped. This is how it starts. You know, what are you longing for in those moments? You're longing for dad, you're longing for mom to come home. Because when they're home, the hissing noise means nothing. You can ask. A rattling, who cares? Dad's home. This is what we're getting a picture of. All will be made right because we will dwell with the Lord in an intimate and close way. Listen, if you can get captured by this vision, you'll have no choice but to live into it. To not give up. You'll become the kind of person who's been transformed by this vision that you now understand what it means when we pray on earth as it is in heaven. You research and work your tail off to try to do away with diseases that can be cured. You'll work hard with sex trafficking, and even if you feel you make no dent in a wicked industry, it's a life well spent trying to change it. Why? Because tomorrow these things will be no more. And we're asking the Lord to bring that tomorrow into today. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's no conflict. Even politics, which I'm being cynical about, ought not be the case. 
Spend your life trying to make these things better, making the earth reflect a little bit of the heavenly glory that is to come, knowing full and well that one day, even if you fail, all will be made right. All will be in peace. This is, you have to have this vision if you're going to learn to fight poverty the way that the early church did. You have to have this vision, especially if you're going to share your faith in such a way that you might end up being martyred. You have to believe there's a beautiful tomorrow just around the corner. Well, if this is how the new creation is going to feel different, let me end by asking this question. What do we need to get there? How are we going to get to this new creation? What is, it, what is it going to take? How do we earn a spot in this new world? What do we need to see? Well, verse 7 tells us the greatest sort of hint as to what it's going to look like for us to get there. If we're going to make it to the new creation, what has to describe us? Well, in verse 7, we see that we have to be described as conquerors. And what is John saying to a church under tremendous persecution? A church who feels like tomorrow the Christian faith might cease to exist. What is John saying? He's saying... You gotta persevere. You gotta push through. You gotta believe. You gotta trust. Now, how do you do that? Well, John makes clear as to the person who will get to this new heavens and the new earth. What what is going to be in their eyes? Though they might radiate with joy, what what will be dripping down their eyes as they make it to this new creation? Well, to be qualified, it seems like you're gonna have some tears welling up. Tears trying to figure out how there's a good God who allows such terrible and horrible things going forward and believing against all doubt that this God is good. Tears will well up in all the eyes and our Lord will wipe every last one of them away. What else do you have to have? Well, verse 6 tells us that you're going to come with deep thirst, a longing. Lord, make all things right. And this is how you're going to push forward and you're going to persevere with a deep and abiding faith, a confidence, a trust. But in what? What is to be the object of this trust? What is to be the object of this faith? Well, it's interesting. If you read Revelation, all over the book of Revelation, we read over and over again about Jesus. And let your eyes skim through this passage as you will. Open your Bible and read it in its entirety. You're not going to see the name of Jesus mentioned once, nor the Messiah. But what will you see described quite a bit? A lamb. The lamb. The sacrificial lamb. This is how you enter into the holy city, by trusting in the work of the sacrificial lamb, the one who trusted his heavenly father all the way to the cross, gave of his life as a sacrifice, as his blood was poured out. This means the forgiveness of all of your sins, all of my sins, and this means an invitation, a ticket into the world that is to come, the conquering lamb. What do we need to get to this new heavens and this new earth? We need a persevering trust and hope in this conquering lamb, the type of trust that will allow you to wade into deep persecution for the faith, wade into the nastiest parts of this world, the type of robust trust and persevering faith that allows you to hear the diagnosis and still say, my God is good. That kind of faith will take you to the end, to the very end. And this is how we're to respond. We're to believe in the resurrection of this conquering lamb, and that in his resurrection has come life everlasting. And as we are trust and in association with him, all that is true of him comes true of us. And to you who believe this, maybe for the first time today, let me tell you, there's unimaginably, unimaginably beautiful future, a beautiful tomorrow that awaits you. Let me pray. Our Lord, we give you great thanks and praise. 
that not only did you send your son into this world to save us of our sins so that we could live forever with you in heaven, your work extends all the way down to our bones and our cells and our blood vessels, and you are making all things new. And it will feel so, so much like home, and yet so new, and we will be deeply satisfied. Father, I don't even know how to begin to preach these things properly to my sisters and brothers, but give us this vision of the where things are heading, and would you make it enlighten our imagination and explode in our imagination to such a degree that we become truly the body of Christ to this neighborhood in need, in an age of despair, and a growing sense of despair. Would you make us into a people who radiate with hope, because we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristChurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristChurchToronto.ca.